Thank you, Jesus. Just put your hands out to the Lord this morning. Father, whatever trial or difficulty we're facing today, help us to take our attention and turn it to you, to focus on you. And the Bible says then to take all of our cares and cast them upon you because you care for us. And so, Father, we turn it all over to you today and we say, Lord, help us to trust you in the difficult times and help us to honor you in the good times. Help us, Father, to be a people who are you-focused in all times so that, God, together we're able to see your kingdom advance and your love and your glory spread over the whole earth. In Jesus' name, amen. While you're, while you're standing this morning, I got a text that uh, Dan Catrona is in the hospital in Kingston. His uh, dad just passed away a few weeks ago when he was in Chicago. He came back. And uh, he's been not feeling well since then. He's been taking chemo for uh, leukemia treatment, but there's also an infection there that they are working to get under control. And he's not, he's not well, he needs a touch from the Lord. So I'm going to ask you, you know, just as you stand with me together this morning, would you just pray together for healing for Dan, that God would restore his body, amen? Father, we just bring Dan before you this morning today, Lord. Father, as somebody who's been part of this house for years, Lord, ministered, played here, Father... Just because he's living in Kingston doesn't mean he isn't part of our heart. And Father, we lift him to you today and we say, God, in Jesus' name, Father, would you reach down, Lord, and bring healing to the body of Dan Katrona. Father, would you restore health and strength to him that, Father, Lord, he would be able to fulfill the purposes of God, Father, that you have for him. Uh, Lord, as one who's been called and gifted by you, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name for healing for Dan. Father, for your full and complete restoration for Dan, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Mark, can you uh, take those, uh, the building forms there, the, the work forms? I know we had to cancel the work for yesterday. We're going to try it again this, this Saturday. So if you can help us with that, we're going to pass out these forms for you to sign up. We need to know how much breakfast to cook. Eight o'clock will be breakfast, so you can help us by getting signed up for that. And uh, we've got lots of work to do. It just got delayed. It didn't get canceled. It got delayed. So we're going to do it this Saturday instead. And uh, we're excited about that. Now, some of you might notice my attire this morning. Miracle on Ice Part 2 happened last night. The Leafs won a playoff series. First one since 2004. So I had to wear the colors this morning. And the man, Matthews, had five goals and four assists in the series, so I also put on his socks this morning. So there we go. We got those on there as well. And uh, yeah, it was, I'm, my wife now has to watch every game. She came in the room for the overtime. She got in there for the overtime, and she, and she saw him score in overtime. I said, that's it. That's what's been missing. You haven't been watching for the last 19 years. So now we're going to have her locked down, strapped into the seat for every Leafs game, and force her to watch so that we win. All right. <laughs> Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, it is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, worship team, for that awesome work. And, and Aaliyah, where'd you go? Where's Aaliyah? You still up there? Hello. A oh, man. Did she knock it out of the park this morning or what? Come on, just, just thank Aaliyah for her work this morning. Come on. Woo. Man. You know, I remember when you started singing, Aaliyah. Yeah, it wasn't as pretty as this morning, let me tell you. 
But praise the Lord. That's what happens when you press on in your gift and your calling. Great things happen, amen? Praise the Lord. That was just awesome today. So good. Wow. Yeah, lots of bling there. Whew. All right, back beside the Interact machine in the foyer, I've got a handout for you. I, I talked to you about this. This is a breakdown of the gifts of the Spirit that we've been talking about. So the nine gifts of the Spirit has them broke down by gifts of revelation, gifts of power, gifts of utterance. That handout's right beside the Interact machine in the foyer. So grab a copy of that on your way out this morning, and uh, I think you'll find that really useful and really helpful as we navigate through the Scriptures and what Paul teaches about the operation of his gifts in the church. Because God gave us gifts that we would actually use them. Hmm? You know, there's nothing greater than when you give your child a gift and they use it. And nothing more discouraging than when you give your child a gift and a year later it's in, our, it's in your yard sale. You know what I'm saying? How many have ever been there? Of course you have. You know, the kid is begging and begging and begging for this and then they get it and then they never play with it or they never use it. And, uh, but when we use it, great things can happen. Amen? We've told the story many times before about Derek wanting a guitar, and when he got that guitar, he used it, and great things can happen. You are asking God for a gift. If God gives you the gift, then use it. Amen? So these gifts, Holy Spirit, yes, they're resident within him, but he gives them as we ask for them and as we need them. And if we ask for them and we need them, if we put ourselves in a position where we need them, where we have to draw upon Holy Spirit, where in our own strength and in our own understanding, we're not going to be able to get the job done, but if the Holy Spirit steps up and helps us, we can get it done. Amen? So we need to put ourselves in those kinds of positions in life where we need the Holy Spirit to intervene on our behalf. Now, we've talked about the gifts of revelation. Uh, These are uh, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. And uh, remember I pointed out that a word of knowledge was facts or understanding of a situation or circumstances that you couldn't have known except by told by Holy Spirit. And then word of wisdom is about helping someone understand what the purpose of that situation is or what the purpose of that knowledge is. You could say that a gift of knowledge is about information and that the gift of wisdom is about application, Right? So we know how to apply the information that we have. And then we talk about the gift of discerning of spirits, about knowing whether what we're seeing or what's in front of us right now is Holy Spirit or whether it's just the flesh, the human spirit, or whether it's some kind of demonic work activity at work. We need to be able to discern what's happening in any situation. Then we talked about the gifts of power. That's the gift of faith. And that's not just believing faith, but that is a faith that you step up and you just know right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you're able to stand in the gap and just believe that this is going to happen and we see it come to pass. And then we talk about the gift of healing. And that's not just everyday healing. The Bible talks about the fact that we have health and strength from the Lord. But sometimes there's something manifest in your body and you need divine healing. You need God to remove that thing from our life. And when we operate in the gift of healing, which often accompanies, you'll notice, evangelists, because if they pray for people and they get healed, it opens up an area to the gospel that was closed before. Amen? And then we talked about the gift of miracles. That's something supernatural that happens that isn't a healing. And there's all kinds of those in Scripture. 
Uh, but, you know, where well, someone's raised from the dead or where, you know, a supernatural breakthrough happens in an area, uh, even us getting this building and the way we did for, uh, you know, the owner, just something happening in his heart, him donating. Literally, our largest donor to this church has never been here. Think about that this morning. And he's not just the large by a small, uh, largest by a small margin, but by a big one. And, uh, and he's never been here, but God moved upon his heart, and we saw a miracle, and Lord has provided us this place that is paid for. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, today I want to talk about the gifts of utterance, the gifts of utterance. <clears throat> now, first one we're going to talk about, today we're going to talk about tongues, interpretation of tongues, and if we get time, prophecy, but we probably won't have time. So we'll just deal with tongues and interpretation of tongues. And uh, tongues, let's start with the most difficult one, tongues. The most controversial and difficult gift in Scripture, so divisive, not because God wants it to be divisive, but because man has made it so divisive. Man has made it that way, not God. Someone say amen. Amen. And it's been divisive in the church, and people claim that it isn't for now, and it's divisive for many problems, people operating out of turn with it and all the rest of it. It's interesting to know it was the most divisive gift in the first century as well. Did you know Paul introduces the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12? Then he puts the brakes on talking about them so that he can put them in context of love. In chapter 13, he says, now, basically... You can have all the gifts you want, but if you haven't got love, you're nothing but a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal, right? Then he goes back in 14. And what does he deal with in chapter 14? Almost exclusively, he deals with the utterance gifts, tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. And he spends all this time unpacking tongues because tongues was causing a problem in the first century church as well. So turn to the person beside you and say, we're in good company. That's right, you're in good company. It happened then, and it happens now. And uh, we should not be surprised that it's controversial today. It was controversial back then. And so Paul dedicated the entire chapter of chapter 14 to helping us navigate and understand the operation of these gifts in the church. And it's, it shouldn't be controversial. I mean, did you know that there's over 30 references to speaking in tongues in the New Testament? It shouldn't be something that we go, well, that was, you know, that's not really for us. 30 references. There's more references to it than there is hell. There's more references than there is heaven. Oh, really? It's throughout the entire New Testament. So why do we marginalize these gifts and pretend like they're not for us? Do you believe that heaven's for you? I do. Amen? So we should also, the Bible says, pursue the gifts. We should say, Holy Spirit, I want these gifts to operate in my life. Now, why is tongues the one that's the most controversial? Why is it controversial? Well, it dwells around two problems with tongues. First one is the nature of tongues. There's so much debate that goes on about the nature of tongues. In other words... When we speak of tongues, are we talking about learning or speaking another language that's spoken on earth, or are we talking about speaking a heavenly language? Which one is it? Right? 
Which one is it? The answer is both. Both. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, right, the Bible says that uh, cloven tongues of fire rested on all of them in the upper room and they began to speak with other tongues. And the people that had gathered for the Feast of Pentecost that had gathered in Jerusalem on that day from all parts of the kingdom known at that time, Jews by birth and Jewish proselytes. Does everybody know what that is? Somebody who was born in a pagan community and converted to Judaism. They're all there. And then as the, the upper room burst open and these people came out of the upper room, they heard them speaking in their own languages, right? So clearly from Acts chapter 2, we see that tongues, that gift of tongues can be, can be somebody praying in a language that is from this world, from this earth, but is not known to the one speaking it. So that the people there were amazed that they all heard the gospel being presented as people spoke in tongues and they understood it in their own language, right? In their own language. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Praise the Lord. Someone say, that's good. good. Amen. Uh, I have not experienced that myself, but I've heard many stories where people were in a meeting and someone gave a message in tongues, and the person who was sitting there was from some other country, and, and they didn't realize, the person giving the message in tongues didn't realize they were speaking Arabic or speaking some language, and the person heard the gospel presented to them for the first time in their life in their own language through the gift, and they were thinking, how did that person know how to speak Arabic? God can do that, amen? Praise the Lord. But is it always another language that is spoken here on earth. Tongues is also referred to as a heavenly language. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Is speaking of the tongues of angels, uh, is that some, a heavenly language? Well, Paul clarifies 1 Corinthians 14, 2, for he said, anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one Everybody say, no one. no one. No one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. Hmm, interesting. The declaration that no one understands suggests that tongues can also be a heavenly language, that, that there is no earthly language that can compare to it. We are speaking and praying with the voice of the spirit. We're praying to God in a language that is mystery to us and mystery to man, but is clearly understood by God. Amen? So whether that tongue we're speaking is another earthly language that we are speaking that God has placed upon us so that it might minister to somebody, or whether we're praying in a tongue of angels, a tongue of spirit that no man knows, praying in tongues is still clearly a biblical thing that we have the access to by Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. So that's the first issue people stumble over. Is it, is it an earthly language or is it some kind of a heavenly language? And the answer, as you know, is now both. The second thing that people stumble over is the gift of tongues. Is it a, a separate and distinct from the tongues that we experience when we pray in the Spirit? So is there a, is a the gift that Paul talks about, the, the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues, is that separate or distinct from somebody just being alone and praying in tongues, right? And the answer to that question is, yes, they're distinct and they're different, all right? And there's so many scriptures 
that don't make sense, especially in 1 Corinthians 14, unless you keep that distinction in mind. Because Paul sounds over and over again like he's contradicting himself, unless you understand that when he speaks of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14, in many of those instances, he's talking about a tongue that needs to be interpreted. And sometimes he's talking about praying in a tongue to the Lord that doesn't need to be interpreted because you're praying for your own edification, right? But the answer is that both happen, and we just need to know that the difference isn't one of language or one of necessarily a content, but the difference is application. The difference is application. Amen? Praise the Lord. So in the book of Acts, there's five different instances where it would seem that people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, obviously verses uh, 1 through 12, the day of Pentecost, we all know that one, they spoke with other tongues, and people heard their gospel in their own language. But then in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 and 19, tongues here, when the apostles are in Samaria, and Simon the sorcerer, remember he's saying, you know, he sees something that they're doing, that Peter and the disciples are doing, that he didn't see happen through Philip or Nathan when he was there. So he's seeing this for the first time, and then he goes and he tries to buy the ability to lay hands on people and have them receive the Holy Spirit. And so even though it doesn't mention tongues there, he had already, Simon the sorcerer had already seen healings and miracles. What is it that he saw when now the disciples showed up and prayed for people to receive the Holy Spirit that he had not seen before? Most people would say it was probably tongues. Then number three, Paul's baptism, Acts 9, 17 and 19. We see that Paul is prayed for by Ananias, right? Receives his sight back, and the Bible says he was baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same time. Again, it doesn't mention tongues, but it's the apostle Paul who said, I'm glad I pray in tongues more than you all. So we know that Paul had experienced uh, the Holy Spirit and that Paul prayed with other tongues. Amen? Amen. Then there's the Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. And there it tells us specifically that when the Spirit came upon the house of Cornelius, that they spoke with tongues and prophesied, right? And then in uh, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 6, Paul in Ephesus. Here, uh, the individuals had not even heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Paul prayed for them, baptized them in water, and then when he baptized in water, he also prayed for them and they received the Holy Spirit, right? And they were baptized in the Holy Spirit as well. Praise the Lord. Now, these are the instances uh, where they talk about it, and only in three of them does it specifically mention the tongues. Uh, but in the other two, you can certainly, I think, infer it, since one of them was Paul, and we already know that he said, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than you all. And the other was Samaria, where Simon the sorcerer saw something other than the supernatural miracles that had been already taken place by the hands of the disciples. So what is it that he saw? Hmm. Well, I would submit to you that those are pretty good cases for Uh, the Holy Spirit operating in our lives and giving us the ability to pray and operate in tongues. But here's the thing. If you do a deep dive into chapter 14, you'll see that Paul clearly brings out that there is tongues that needs to be interpreted and that there's tongues for personal edification. And you'll see all the references through chapter 14 where Paul speaks about tongues. And, and in fact, if you don't understand that we're talking about two different applications of tongues, that chapter becomes very confusing. Because it sounds like at one point Paul says, tongues is for everybody else. And then, but, you know, and another point he says, no, it's for believers and prophecy is for, for people outside the church. But if you understand he's talking about tongues that is interpreted versus tongues that is not, then you clearly go, oh, now the chapter 
makes sense to me. Amen. I'm just going to really quickly read through some of the highlights of chapter 14. All right, ready for this? Got your seatbelt on? Because I'm going to go fast. Because I've got 20 minutes. And that's it. We're not going to torture our children's workers again this week. (laughs) There are several key statements made by Paul to provide great understanding to ministry and the gifts of tongues. When a person speaks in tongues, Paul says he speaks to God. 14 verse 2. Obviously there he's not talking about tongues that is interpreted, but he's talking about praying in your, own, in your own language. He said when he speaks in tongues to God, no one understands him, right? In other words, he's speaking a heavenly language. When he speaks in tongues, verse four, uh, 4, he said he edifies himself, not the church. It's for his edification. And then in verse 5, continuing on this vein, Paul says that he wished that all believers spoke in tongues. Now, if he was talking about the gift of tongues with interpretation, why, wouldn't that sound weird? If, if every Sunday you come in and every person has a tongue and somebody's got to interpret it, wouldn't that be just a little bit much? That would be quite the service, wouldn't it? Popping up everywhere, little popcorn tongue testimonies and people interpreting it everywhere. In fact, Paul goes on later to say that, no, 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 no. If there's gifts and tongues operating in the service, two, three at the most, right? Does he not say that? Should speak. And then it must be interpreted, Okay. So obviously, Paul's not talking about that here when he's talking about, you know, you're, you're praying mysteries, no one understands that language, and that you're edifying yourself, right? He's talking about getting alone with God, and there are many times, and Barry did an excellent job last week of pointing out so many times, you don't know how to pray, you get before God, you say, Lord, I, my, my kids need help, and you just get down on your knees, you don't even know what to say, but you get down and you begin to pray in the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden you sense and you know that God is breaking through on your behalf, amen? Because even though you don't know what to pray, the Bible says we pray with the mind of the Spirit, and we experience breakthrough. Amen? And how many times, I can't even tell you how many times in my life that's been the case. I've been up against something and I just don't know how to pray. I'm I'm at my wit's end. And so I just go before God and I just begin to pray in the spirit. And I come out of that time in, in a half an hour or so and I'm so built up in my faith, I've been personally edified as I've prayed in that heavenly language and I know that I know God has heard and answered my prayers. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now Paul goes on in verse 5, in verse chapter 14, he said, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, right? But then he adds, unless the tongue's interpreted. Ah, so now he says prophecy and tongues are, one's not greater than the other if it's interpreted because now it's beneficial to the body if it's interpreted. If it's not interpreted, it's only beneficial to the prayer, not to the body. Then verse 13, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he interprets. So if you're in a service and you give something in, in tongues, you should pray that you interpret because somebody's got to interpret that, right? You should pray that you interpret, that God gives you the interpretation. And only when a tongue is interpreted is the body edified. When I pray in a tongue, Paul says, verse 14, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And that's why Paul goes on and says, that's why I'm glad I speak in tongues more than anyone else. Again, now he's back to talking about in, in prayer. He's glad he speaks in tongues more than you all. He said, I'm not glad that I stand up in the pulpit and give tongues messages more than anybody else. That's not what Paul's talking about. That doesn't even make sense again. He's talking about personal edification, being built up, having breakthrough in prayer. He's able to say, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than you all because I know the power that's unlocked when I get before God and I pray 
in the heavenly language. Hallelujah. And then he gets down. Paul says, I'm glad I speak in tongues among you all, but in church, I'd rather pray, uh, uh, you know, five intelligent words than a thousand in an unknown tongue unless it's interpreted. You see how Paul's going here. And then he goes on, he said, tongues are a sign for unbelievers if it's interpreted, just like it was in the day of Pentecost. Otherwise, not a sign for unbelievers at all, right? If it's not interpreted, an unbeliever might look at you and go, dude, you're weird. You know, you're standing in the, you know, in the service or something and you're just babbling away in tongues and that person never been here before and looking at you like, whoa, what is going on with that dude, all right? But if you give that message in tongues and then you interpret or somebody else interprets it, they're gonna go, whoa. You see what a difference it can make? It's not about the nature, it's about the application. And once the application comes through, now people go, my goodness. And that's why prophecy works the same way. It's about application. When somebody speaks and prophesies into your life, cracks open, the Bible says it's for edification and encouragement, for building the person up. And when you speak a word of encouragement, people are opened up. Are you hearing me? That's why words of prophecy are not, thus saith the Lord, you all shall burn, you know? <laughs> we had a lady in Lindsay when we passed her there that she got those kind of words just about every week. And uh, it would be, you know, you need to repent the churches, you know, just going on and on. And we finally pulled her aside and told her that, you know, she, she couldn't do that anymore. And she said, well, I have to, when the Lord gives me something, I have to speak it. And I said, well, that's not even scriptural because the Bible says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So you can, you can honor leadership, and then if we're the ones that are wrong, we'll stand before God, not you, right? But it, clearly, if you read the scripture, that's not what the gifts are for. They're for edification, encouragement. If God's got a word about the end times, you put it in the scripture, read that, right? Hello? If person's on the wrong path, it's Holy Spirit's job to convict, not yours. Someone say amen. amen. You go around thinking it's your job to bring conviction to people. I don't see that in scripture anywhere. You'd have to point that one out to me. That's not your gift. Your gift is to edify and to bring encouragement. Amen? That's what you're to do. You're to build people up. That's what we do as Christians. We build people up. Someone just, I, I got to get a little bit more reinforcement here. Come on, Mark, you should be all over that. Mark's built a whole life out of just building people up. That's what he does. Just build them up. Amen? That's what it's all about. Wow. All right. Praise the Lord. And then finally, Paul's last instruction, chapter 14, that he says about tongues is simply this. Forbid not the speaking in tongues. That injunction right there. I would like to be able to stand up in many churches and just say, forbid not the speaking in tongues. So I think it's clear in Scripture there's a distinction in the application of tongue, whether it's for your personal edification or whether it is for the edification of the body. And the application difference is in interpretation. So now we get to talk about the second gift. And I've got 10 minutes to talk about interpretation of tongues. Tongues. Well, the good news is that's pretty easy. <laughs> that's pretty easy to talk about interpretation of tongues. Praise the Lord. Um, before I get to that, let me just say three things about tongues. Tongues are a medium of prayer and of worship. So when we're together, 
It's not uncommon to hear people praying in tongues in the middle of the service. They're not trying to draw attention to themselves to have it interpreted. If they shouted it out so loud everybody else was drowned out, then that's when you're drawing attention to yourself. That you better have the interpretation for that. But there's nothing wrong with people getting together and, and everybody praying in tongues and, and, and asking God for, for help and, and crying out to him because we're, we're praying for being strengthened, built up, and edified in the body. And we can do that. And we speak to God when we do that. And there's nothing wrong with getting together in, in prayer and speaking to God. Amen? And then tongues can be a sign if they're interpreted. So when you have a tongue given and it's interpreted, it's an incredibly powerful supernatural sign to people, especially if it happens to be a tongue in their language that they've not, they know that you don't speak that language and then they hear that interpretation. They're going to go, my goodness, that is amazing because they're going to know already themselves what generally was being said. Amen. And then finally, tongues are a means of edification, both for yourself when you're praying in tongues and for the body when it's interpreted. People get built up. So why, oh, why so much controversy? And why would we want to shut down something that's so good for you? You know, Barry talked about the studies that have been done by numerous medical places from John Hopkins University Hospital to others where they've actually studied people's bodies and brains when they're praying in tongues. And, and their brains are actually secreting hormones that actually bring healing and health to the body while they're praying in the spirit. It's incredible. It's incredible. And how people's uh, frontal lobe, the part where, of cognizant speech, is actually not even operating when they're praying in the Holy Spirit. So they're secreting all, uh, the stuff that's good for your body, and yet, as the Bible says, your mind is unfruitful. It's a wonderful thing. Praise the Lord. So why would we want to shut this down? Why would we shut, want to shut it down? The answer is, a lot of times we want to shut it down because we don't want to have to pastor it. Historically, whenever there's been moves of God, and, and I'm being honest with you, you can go back to the 1990s, the outpouring in Toronto, Toronto Blessing, there's a lot of pastors that shut it down in their churches because they didn't want to pastor it. They didn't want the hassles of sorting out what's flesh and what's Holy Spirit, right? And there was flesh. Of course there was, you know? Uh, they're, they're, wherever the Holy Spirit shows up, there's going to be flesh too. Why? Because he's working through flesh and blood people. And so sometimes you're going to react to the Holy Spirit in a way that you can't blame that on God. It's just your reaction to the Holy Spirit, right? I liken it this way, you know. I, I've worked with electricity uh, most of my life. My dad was an electrician. So I started wiring houses with him and stuff like that when I was a kid. And uh, so, Gary, you remember this? We're in Derek's garage. And I was saying to Gary, he said, man, you're working with that when it's live? I'm, oh, it's no problem. I said, it's only a problem if this grand wire touches this. And it just blows. Oh, you're going to give me a heart attack? And, and I'm like, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and, and so sometimes when we come in contact with the Holy Spirit, some people's reactions, and other people are like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> right? Because some of our reaction is just us, right? I'm watching that hockey game last night. I was definitely in the flesh. Yeah, Sherry goes, no, I was definitely in the flesh. I'm watching that thing, I'm like, yeah! Absolutely, 100% in the flesh. But it's joy, it was good, you know? And so sometimes when we, we get into services, something's happening, and you see people bugging out a little bit, you know? <laughs> Temptation is to say, Holy Spirit made me do it. 
Well, maybe not, but that's okay. You're still enjoying him, so have at her, right? Uh, but, you know, you need to know that sometimes it's just our response to the Holy Spirit, right? But one of the things we know is not just our response, it's tongues, right? Amen? That is the Holy Spirit working in our life, either to build us up or to build the body up. Amen? Amen. All right. And, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, finally, tongues. When they're given in the church, they're the most regulated gift in the Bible. Nowhere else does the Bible say, if there's going to be messages in tongues, two, three at the most, he says, should pray, and then they, they need to be interpreted. So even back in the first century, Paul understood that there was a temptation there for us to, you know, not discern well what God wanted to have happen with that tongue in the service. To miss that God maybe was just, maybe you just needed to intercede and pray and you didn't need to give a tongues that, that was going to be interpreted. Maybe, just maybe, sometimes you needed to wait and let somebody else see if they have the interpretation. I mean, there's so many things that Paul talks about in concerning tongues and interpretation of tongues that help you understand that there was a problem in the first century too and is a regulated gift because the tongue, as Barry said last week from James chapter, what is it, chapter three, is a restless evil, a deadly poison, a fire set, a flame set on fire by hell itself. And that one of the reasons I think God picked tongues is because it is God by Holy Spirit bringing uh, authority, but also regulation to something that we don't regulate very well ourselves. Amen? All right. Now, this is really an easy one. Gift of interpretation of tongues. It's fairly self-explanatory. Interpretation of tongues. So this shouldn't take too long, but there is one mistake that we make that I want to I clarify here this morning. Uh, the word interpretation means to explain thoroughly. It includes the concept of exposition and application. In Daniel chapter 5, verses 25, 28, four words appeared on the wall. Do you guys remember that in Scripture? Uh, but Daniel's interpretation expanded the four words into three sentences of a message, right? And here's the point. Interpretation needs to be distinguished from translation. When a person gives a message in tongues and a person gives the interpretation, it's not a translation. It's not a translation. It's an interpretation. So what that means is that you, the person who's giving the interpretation must not only have uh, what the tongue meant, but how it's to be applied, how it's relevant. All of that's packaged up in the interpretation. That's why usually the interpretation is longer than the tongue. Because it's an interpretation, not a translation. And you wouldn't believe how many people said, well, that's not God. Because the tongue only took 10 seconds, but it took a minute to, to do it. You know, come on. I mean, even French and English isn't that bad. I know the, English, the French use twice as many words as we do, but it's not that bad. <laughs> That's a joke. <clears throat> Although if you look in your cereal box, the French is usually longer than the English. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's not an interpret uh, a translation. It's an interpretation. And they're not the same thing. Not at all. 
They're not the same thing. The purpose of the gift of interpretation is not just to uh, speak what the tongue was, but the message, the overall application and heart that God wanted to get across to his people. In other words, it's taking the tongue and, and literally turning it into a word of prophecy for the people. Something to bring edification and encouragement. Uh, Dalton says, interpretation of tongues is the supernatural showing forth by the Spirit of the meaning of an utterance in other languages. This interpretation is not an operation of the mind. This is really important, right? It's not an operation of the, operation of the mind of the interpreter, but it's of the Spirit as well. So the person that's giving the interpretation isn't somebody who's listened to people speak in tongues so much that they know exactly what those words and syllables meant. So therefore, I can give you the translation of that. No, that's not what it is. The, the gift of interpretation is, of tongues is just as much a work of Holy Spirit as the tongue is in the first place. And the mind in the understanding in the English language is completely irrelevant. It's what you get from Holy Spirit that's relevant, and that's what we speak forth. Amen? This is what the Bible teaches us. And we, get, we trip over this all the time because we think it's supposed to be some kind of a translation, and it's not. It's an interpretation, expressing the heart of God that was coming through that tongue in the first place. Amen? When we understand these things about these gifts, they no longer have to be controversial. They no longer have to be divisive. They no longer have to be something that needs lots of correction and lots of work. If we understand the nature of those gifts, they can be the greatest liberating an empowering thing in the life of the church. And if you ever needed evidence of that, you just look at the first century church. It's been 50 days since Jesus' death and resurrection. And the disciples are gathered in the upper room. 50 days. How do I know it's 50 days? Pentecost. Penta means 50 right? 50 days since the Passover. And here they are gathered together 50 days later, right? And on that 50th day, as they're gathered together on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out. 50 days they've been living under the kingdom of God. 50 days they've been living with the resurrected Lord and his uh, His blood shed on our behalf and resurrection power demonstrated through his conquering death in the grave. 50 days the church has lived with that revelation. 50 days they've had understanding of the mission, the commission, all of it. 50 days and they haven't done anything except hide and cower and pray. And now 50 days later, power of the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. The power of the Holy Spirit's poured out in the upper room. And they leave that upper room and they begin to preach. And they literally, the first day they preach, and thousands come to Christ on the very first day. And the church explodes when the power of the Holy Spirit is released upon the church. And they go forth after 50 days of silence, 50 days of you could hear crickets from the church. And now all of a sudden the church is walking in the demonstration of God's power. There's a boldness that came with the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. There's gifts of the Holy Spirit that came to enable them to present the gospel. 
there is a work of Holy Spirit and that they have now have a language that they can pray and that they can intercede and they can come before God and by Holy Spirit, they can see literally that the world transformed as they're built up in their personal lives and seeing people's lives changed. That all happened after the Holy Spirit. Not right after his death and resurrection, but not until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Church, this whole series is about the Holy Spirit in the modern age. Do we need the Holy Spirit today? You better believe we do. We're facing demons and darkness that the church probably hasn't faced very often historically, but they're out there, and we have a message of hope and a message of joy and a message of strength, and we need the Holy Spirit to know how to bring that message to the public square so that people's lives are transformed by the power of God. Are you hearing me this morning? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We need to be a people praying in tongues. Why? Because every day you're coming up against stuff that you can't possibly figure out on your own. But you need the Holy Spirit to pray through you so that you can rise from your knees and say, God, I know you've heard me. And I know the answer's on the way. Amen? Amen? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now let me close with this. In the back, there's a, there's a magazine rack there, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> and there's a devotional booklet for the, the week of prayer that we're going to do leading up to the day of Pentecost. So May 28th is a Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. And you know what? The uh, other churches in the city are excited for what God's going to do on Pentecost Sunday as well. Uh, and it's going to be an awesome time. Praise the Lord. For that week, we're going to have prayer here starting on the Sunday night on the 21st. And you goes, if I'm not mistaken, Pastor, that's a long weekend. Yes, it is. We are really going to test your faith. <laughs> we're going to really test commitment in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. But starting on that Sunday night, we're going to have prayer, and the devotional's there. We want you to take a copy of it. If you, they cost us about, the ministerial, about $2 a piece to produce, so if you could drop something in the bucket or whatever, that would be helpful for us. And, uh, but then we want everybody to have a copy of that. And on that week, we're going to be praying through that devotional that week. So we're going to start on the Sunday night, and we're going to pray right through until Saturday night. The last night on the Saturday night is revival, and then we have the next day, we have the Pentecost Sunday. It's going to be fantastic. And we're going to be praying here in the sanctuary every night on those related themes. And so you'll be able to come here, and as you look through the book, there'll be somebody reading a prayer meeting here uh, every night of the week at 7 o'clock. And we're going to call out to God for a whole week, and we're going to see God do something incredible on that Pentecost Sunday. I'm telling you, get ready. We have not seen our city work together like we are right now in probably 20 years. There is a hunger. We've got a great group of men and women, and there is a hunger for God, such as I've never seen, in a collective group of people like we have in our city today. And so what I'm going to ask you to do right now is to stand with me, and we're going to pray for an outpouring of Holy Spirit on our city. Amen? Amen. I want you to take a hand of somebody beside you. That's great. Just grab their hand. Praise the Lord. Sherry, would you come on up here? You can come too, Derek. Yeah, you can come hold your mom's hand. Come on up here. <clears throat> it's okay. You can hold your mom's hand. That's good. There you go. <laughs> I'm holding my mom's hand. 
Uh, let's just lift our voices to the Lord this morning. Father, thank you so much, O oh God, for the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know from Scripture on the day of Pentecost the church was born. That, Father, the disciples had been literally living in fear and hiding, and Father, and somehow trying to, to Lord, avoid being arrested and all the rest of it for 50 days. But God, on the day of Pentecost, when your Holy Spirit was poured out, Father, the church was born in power. The church was born in the Holy Spirit. The church was born as people came to Christ. And Lord, as your word was released and people from all different areas of civilization, Father, received Christ and received Holy Spirit and took it back to their hometowns, took it back to wherever they came from. And God, the Lord, the church began to disperse throughout all of the Roman Empire. Father, we're so grateful for what happened, but that was 2,000 years ago. Father, we need a move of the Holy Spirit today that's unprecedented in our times. We need, Father, the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of people like never before. Father, we're asking, oh God, today for you to pour out your Holy Spirit. Father, in such a way, just start with us. Start with this church. Start with our city. Start right here, Lord. We're saying, God, here we are. Start with us, Jesus. Pour out your Holy Spirit on your church, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Praise you, mighty God. Praise you, mighty God. I just want you to right now just take a couple minutes just to pray in the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit and intercede and ask Holy Spirit to move. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we need you, Holy Spirit. The church needs the Holy Spirit. Father, I believe you're going to thrust the church into the limelight in the greatest measure or way that you have in 2,000 years. And Father, we're going to have to rely on the Holy Spirit to accomplish the mission you've set before us. Thank you, Lord, that it's bigger than we can do in our own strength. Because now we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that there's no way we could possibly do this on our own. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. But thank you, Lord, that as we rely on you, you're faithful. Just as you were faithful in the day of Pentecost pour out and release your Holy Spirit. And Peter was able to stand up and preach. And Father, 3,000 souls come to Christ. Father, we're asking, Lord, for you to do the same thing through your church today. For the city of Belleville to see the church triple, quadruple, so that there's believers everywhere. And everywhere you go, you're running into Christians, new Christians, babes in Christ, and we get to disciple them and to encourage them in the faith. Father, we're asking for that kind of a move of the Holy Spirit in our city. And Lord, we're just bold enough to believe today that God, you want to do it in our community. Today, we give you praise and we honor you for you are good. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just lift up your hands and thank him today. Thank you, mighty Jesus. We give you praise, Lord. Hallelujah, mighty God. Hallelujah, mighty God. Thank you, mighty Lord. Move, Holy Spirit, in your people. Move, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for this congregation this morning. Thank you for the hunger in your midst. I pray, God, that you would answer the cry of every heart. Father, the Bible says if 
Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And Father, as the hunger increases in your people, Lord, I know you'll be there to meet them and fill them. And Father, we thank you today and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Thank you for joining us this morning in person and thank you online for joining us. Have an amazing week. And we'll see you next Sunday as we uh, release the gift of prophecy in the house of the Lord. God bless you.